Praise the Lord. And because you're such a blessing, I'm going to preach to you for three hours. Is that all right? <laughs> all right, I'll be merciful. Grace and mercy be upon you. I'll only be <coughs> two hours. Okay. All right, so open your Bibles at Luke 15, because sooner or later in this church, you always end up at Luke 15, so you might as well open your Bible there. A beautiful picture of the Father welcoming him home and entreating his sons to come in and join him, you know? And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing across the church at this age. You know, as you're doing that, I remember this advertisement. It was on the television years ago. Does anybody remember an advertisement? And it showed a father going around the house, and he was working on various things. He was fixing this and fixing that. And everything he was doing, he had a little boy following him around. And whatever the father did, the little boy did in the background. And then the last frame of the advert showed the father finally lit up a cigarette. And behind him, you could see the little boy, he got a wee pencil in his hand, and he started to draw on the pencil. And what the advertisement was saying was that there was more going on here than simply a son copying his father. Can you see, Father, when you, when you light up that cigarette, there's an impartation of life going on here. He is being like you're being. And I want to speak to you this morning about that impartation of life that comes, the very being with God. We were talking about Emmanuel being with God. We talk about the presence of God. How does that happen? And I want to tell you that being is imparted by being with Son and Father. Being is, that's why the Father said to the sons, be with me. Be with me. Because that's who I am. I'm the being with God. So being is imparted by being with. And I want to speak to you this morning, of course, about the power of the gospel to impart the being with spirit that we get a revelation of being with them. Mark 3.14, you remember the scripture says that in fact Jesus chose the 12 apostles that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. But the order there is very important. It said first that they might be with him. You see, there can be no sending out unless there's a first a being with. And that's why in fact Jesus said before he even ascended, he said to his disciples, wait, 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 wait in Jerusalem. For the promise of the Holy Spirit. Tarry there. Don't what he was saying was, I didn't call you to go for me. I called you to go with me. I said again, I didn't call you to go for me. I called you to go with me. I wish somebody had told me that years ago. I really do, because I for years I've sat under messages that try to stir up my flesh to go and do something for God. Messages that told me that I probably wasn't even a good Christian if I didn't do this, 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 and this. You see? And all it did was stir up my flesh to try and do something for him. But whatever I did, it didn't come from the revelation of being with him. So it wasn't a work of the Spirit, the Spirit of being with. It was simply a work of the flesh trying to be with. Praise God. Listen to seven little words that Jesus said to his disciples that have the power to set us free from such self-effort, what we call in this church religion. Seven words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. It's really possible, you see, to be busy as a Christian. Busy doing nothing. I used to sing a song like that. Busy doing nothing, working the whole day through. Trying to find lots of things not to do. We're busy going nowhere. Someone's talked about the barrenness of busyness. 
I, I, you know what? I just preached to myself on a Sunday and you get to hear it. I'm speaking to my own soul. All right, Thomas, the barrenness of busyness. Busy, 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 but not coming out of a revelation of who I am or where I am, seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Praise God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you hear what Jesus is saying in those seven words? Don't go for me. Go with me. Don't go for me. Go with me. Every work of the Spirit is the fruit of being with them. Every work of the flesh is the fruit of working for him. You know, there was a wristband came out years ago. I know you remember it. And I had a little phrase printed on it. And the idea is that it would help believers in any situation if they asked themselves one question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Now, I appreciate the heart behind that. It was a good heart to encourage people. But the theology behind it wasn't a good theology. You see, it's not the gospel. Let me tell you why not. Because Christ came that you and I would share his life. Not have one of our own. And his life is a life of one communion with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's beautiful. His life is the one of him who never asked himself, what would the Father do? <coughs> Jesus never asked himself that. As if the Father was somewhere else. His life is the life of one who never said, I only do what the Father would have done. He didn't say that. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. You see, Jesus too never went for the Father. He went with the Father. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.19 said, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Praise God. Jesus' life was and is a life of being with the Father. How? By the Spirit. Oh, praise you, Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, he allows us to be with. That's what he does. He imparts to us the experience of being with. The Holy Spirit enabled Jesus, the man, to live being with the Father. Being with the Father. Jesus, when he stood up and said, I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit. I'm anointed to preach the gospel. I can declare to the, to the dead, rise. I can declare to the blind sea, you see, because God is with me. And the Acts says he went around doing good and, and, and setting free all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Now, as Michelle said this morning, the presence of God is always here, but knowing the presence of God. It doesn't say the truth will set you free. It says knowing the truth will set you free. So the Holy Spirit comes that you will be whom God declares us to be. And that needs an impartation of the Spirit. I need to receive that Spirit of being with him. Praise God. The whole reason you and I have been given the Holy Spirit is so that we too can live being with Christ. That in fact we would find our true being with Christ in God. That's our true being. We will never find that by looking to our earthly feelings, feelings of being left behind by God and having to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do if he was here? We find our being with Christ by allowing the gospel to lift our vision up off ourselves alone and onto us with Christ in God. How does that happen? How does our vision rise up off ourselves alone? Faith comes by and hearing by the word of Christ, the original version says. It happens as the astonishing news of what God has done for us begins to sink in. Takes a while to sink in, Michelle, doesn't it? Takes a while to sink in. Good to be marinated in it, doesn't it? Good to sit in it for a while. 
I don't know much about cooking, you know, but I know if you want to marinate something, it's got to sit there for a while. Jesus said, abide. Abide in me. Don't be rushed. Abide in me. Remain in me. In your thinking, remain in this thinking. Remain in your union with Christ. You'll be astonished what will happen as you abide in me. You will actually bear much fruit. You will bear the fruit of heaven. Praise God. Your vision rises as you realize that what you've heard around church all your life, that it is your life that qualifies you for eternity, isn't true. Rather, in the word of Paul to the Colossians, it is the Father who qualified you. Thomas prayed it this morning. It is the Father who qualified you for the kingdom of His Son. It is the Father who delivered you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. Praise God for the good news. What happens when people hear that and begin to believe it? That it is Christ's life that saved you, not yours. That we are saved by the obedience of one and that his name is Jesus Christ. What happens when we hear that? People's vision finally begins to lift off being alone, waiting for God and up into their being with Christ in God. Oh, Paul said to the Colossians, if you were raised... If you were raised, have you been raised with Christ? If you're a believer in raised, then live from there. Live from where he raised you to. I think he raised you a little bit higher than a sinner saved by grace. I think he raised you a little bit higher than that. I think he raised you into sonship. That he would share his life with you. How do I know that? Because if you're a parent here this morning, you want nothing less for your children than to be lifted higher than the way you were lifted. To be lifted. They would live beyond you. That you would lift them up beyond you. Can you catch the heart of the Father? He's not some sort of demagogue. He's trying to control your life. He wants you free. To know who you are. To be filled with such love. That you take responsibility for your life. And can live a life of generosity. Because you're not worried about yourself anymore. Because the question of you has been settled for all time. You're blessed beyond the curse. You're a child of God and there's no greater calling in your life. Praise God. Vision begins to lift off being alone, waiting for God and up into being with Christ. Which is why by Colossians 3, Paul is finally able to say to them, so let your eyes remain there. Let your eyes abide there. Set your eyes. Set your eyes on things above. That's why we preach the gospel every Sunday. Set your eyes on things above. Let your vision remain there. For you died. You, you alone, you waiting for God, you wondering what would Jesus do if he was here. You, you died. And your life now is hidden with Christ and God. Praise God. Praise God for this gospel. It lifts men. It lifts my soul. Lifts my soul off myself. Praise God. In your darkest moments, lifts you up out of feeling sorry for yourself, knowing that self died. You know, I can give thanks in any situation because I have been blessed beyond the curse. Praise God. Jesus said, remain, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. You see, the Holy Spirit came down to lift us up in our being, from people waiting for God to people being with God. Let me find it this, I'll put it this way. You can only find your true being in his presence. We can only find our true being in his presence. You see, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, we see God's people waiting for a Savior. They were a people living in the promise of God. But in the early church, under the New Covenant, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, God's people are no longer a people living in the promise of God. 
No. You and I are no longer a people living in the promise of God. Let me let Jesus tell you why from Luke 24, 49. He said this to his disciples. Behold, I send the promise. I send the promise of the Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you have received God's Spirit. And if you receive God's Spirit, His promise, then you now no longer have to live in the promise of God. You can live in the presence of God. You can live in the presence of God. You can live in the presence of God. You know what helps me live in the presence of God? Being around other believers living in the presence of God. <laughs> That's why when you come in here, you feel the presence of God. Where two or three are gathered. There's something wonderful, you know. I thought of that image when we were worshipping here on Thursday night at the carol service. You know, um, there was an old story I saw once of this guy. And he and he'd sort of left church for quite a while. And then one day to knock on the door. And he was sitting in his house, actually, the story goes, and he was just poking the fire. He was poking the fire with his uh, poker, you know, sitting in front of a hot fire. There's a knock on the door. He goes to the door, and then there was uh, somebody there from the church who he hadn't seen in a long time. And they both looked at each other and didn't say a word. The, the, the other person didn't say one thing to him. He just went and sat with them, and they both sat in front of the fire, just looking at the fire. And after a while, the man who'd arrived picked up the tongs. And he, he took one of the coals out of the fire, and he left it on the hearth. And they both watched it for a while. It went cold. And then after a few minutes, he picked it up again, put it back in the fire, and he watched it go, go on fire again. And the man left, never said another word. <laughs> but you see, that's not a word of condemnation. It's just the truth. I am most myself when I'm around you. You see, when you're in the presence of God's people, you're in the presence of God. This is what the Holy Spirit wants. Because this city needs the presence of God. And God's way to bring the presence of God, the kingdom of God near people is through you and I being filled with the presence of God. So be filled with the presence of God. Draw near people and then you can say to them, repent for the kingdom of God draws near. For the kingdom is within you. Okay? So be filled with that spirit and then we can draw near people. Praise God. So you no longer have to live waiting for the promise of his presence. For in Christ your life is now hidden with Christ and God. In Christ you have been delivered from the waiting room to the throne room. Isn't that beautiful? Now that is the most powerful deliverance anyone can ever receive. For we can only find our true being in his presence. What do I mean by that? What is our true being? Our true being is whom God always saw us to be in Christ. Called us to be through the gospel. And graces us to be by the impartation of his spirit. I'll say it again. Our true being is whom God always saw us to be in Christ call us to be through the gospel, and graces us to be by the impartation of his Spirit. Let me say that in another way. Your true being to God was never you alone. It was you with God. Oh, that is so beautiful. Your true being was never you alone. It was always you with God. And when you know this, you're delivered from the power of the accuser, the one who says to you, look what you did when you're all by yourself. You can finally say, that isn't me. For me, all by myself is not the man God saw. That's not who I am. I am with him. He is with me. Praise God. That's who I am. And what I did there, I was not in my right mind. Praise God. I was alone. But I'm not alone any longer. That's why, you know, Jesus Christ is called the man. Do you remember Pilate said, behold, the man. Jesus Christ was the most perfect human being who ever lived. In fact, I think it was um, uh, one famous author who said, Jesus was actually the most human 
human being who ever lived. And I thought that was a very strange thing to say. Well, how could he be the most human? The reason being is because of God's idea of what a vision of a human being was. You see, during Jesus' life, he lived as a perfect human being because he lived as a human being with God. God's vision of a human being has always been a human being with God. So, what does a human being with God look like? Well, according to Acts 10.38, someone full of the Holy Spirit looks like a man going around doing good and healing all those under the power of the devil because God is with him. Do you know what the power of the devil is? Lies. Only knowing the truth, Emmanuel, God with us, sets us free from the lie that God is withholding himself from us and we had better do something to reconcile ourselves to him. That was the original lie in the garden. Well, God is withholding his likeness from you. But here's something you could do in the flesh to make yourself like God. Lie. If it works once, why not use it again and again? If it's working so well, it's original lie. God's vision of a human being has always been a human being with God. That was always God's idea of a human being. Because to make a man in his image, the image of God, is to make a man in the image of one who has never been alone. Who cannot live by himself but lives in communion father son and spirit and that's why i said that to find your true being in god's presence is to know the greatest deliverance of your life the deliverance from yourself that's the greatest deliverance of your life the deliverance from yourself for to live by yourself and for yourself is death that's why God said to Adam in the garden, on the day you eat of the do-it-yourself tree, you will die. The first Adam, you see, delivered us into the self-life, sin and death, being without God. We got delivered by him into that life. But the last Adam, Christ, he delivered us out of that life, out of that self-apart-from-God life. Praise God. But to live in this new life, this being-with-God life, we must receive his Spirit's the Spirit who brings us into the being with life of God. You know, Acts 4 tells us that the early, uh, in the early church, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious, they were astonished at the boldness of the early apostles. And it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, that's as far as they could understand, because in the natural mind can't understand the fact that you could live being with Jesus. They thought... These men were very courageous because they had been with Jesus. That's not true. These men had been with Jesus for three years. And at the end of it, when he left them, what did they do? They fell apart. What they were looking at wasn't men who'd been with Jesus. It was men full of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you don't live as men who had been with, but being with. Can you see what the Holy Spirit's doing? He's imparting to you the life of being with. These men were so full of courage because they were being with Christ they weren't afraid anymore because they knew God is with us. And if God is with us, what does it matter if the whole world is against us if God is with us? Can you see what the filling of the Holy Spirit does? You're absolutely convinced, praise God, that he is with you and you are with him. And that's that impartation that comes by the gospel of your innocence, by proclaiming to you who God says you are. And that can't be done except in the Spirit because I can't tell you who you are in Christ if I don't see who I am in Christ. And that goes for each one of us. That's why God is lifting the church, praise God, by the gospel of his grace. The Holy Spirit is given. We're being lifted, you see, being with Jesus. The Holy Spirit, he raises us from becoming to being, from promise to presence. For years, you can be somebody who's becoming. You know, many, many multitudes of Christians have spent years, decades in church trying to become a good Christian. 
trying to become, doing to become, doing to become. It's the driest place in the world to live in. Try being. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful. It's the most extraordinary thing that happens when believers recognize that they're saved not by their good behavior, but by the good birth, the new birth. You stop trying to become a Christian and start living as a child of God. We move from becoming to being. Have you noticed that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He doesn't speak of who you could be, but of who you are? Because He doesn't speak to you on the basis of your life, but on the basis of Christ's. He calls you as if you already are whom you hope to become. I remember standing in Straban in the assembly there 30 years ago, and a guy spoke to me and he said, you are a trumpeter in the highways and byways. Not you will be in 30 years' time, you are. Isn't that beautiful? You see, he says, the Spirit speaks to you of who you are, he speaks to you of what is, because he's speaking from the heavenly realm. And in the heavenly realm, everything is. There's nothing becoming in heaven. Everything is. You see? And so to live from there is to be who you are in him. Being with him. Not hoping to be with him, but being with him. In heaven, there is no one trying to become anyone, for all have found their being in God. The kingdom of heaven is not the realm of becoming. It is the realm of being. So let it be done on the face of the earth as it is in heaven. Let the being with God be manifest on the earth through the lives of men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the being with God life. Praise God. So no matter what you've done in this life or what has been done to you, no matter what your earthly record is, the Spirit does not speak to you on the basis of your life for God, but on the basis of His life for you, Christ. The Holy Spirit never speaks to you of who you could be, but of who you are. Why? Because he wants your faith to rest in Christ's finished work, not your unfinished works. Praise God. And this is how you can tell if someone is speaking by God's Spirit or a religious spirit. If someone is speaking by God's Spirit, their words will leave you in the presence of God. If someone is speaking by a religious spirit, their words will leave you in the promise of God. For the believer's presence is always for a better people or a better time. There's always something you have to do first. Do you know that you can live by a religious spirit long enough and get to the point where it's possible for God to be with you and you don't even see him? Just ask the Pharisees. In other words, religion will always leave you becoming, but never lift you into being. For it always leaves you looking to yourself, not Christ. It always sounds so holy and biblical, the promise of his presence, but listen carefully and you'll discover that it always seems to be conditional on your life, not Christ's. No matter how many scriptures someone quotes to you, always ask yourself one question, and we've said this before. Is what I am hearing leaving my faith on Christ's finished work or on my unfinished works? Are they speaking to me of his obedience or mine? Are they leaving my hope in my repentance or have they so lifted my hope off myself and onto Christ that I find that their words are actually causing a repentance in me, as actually causing a metanoia? Their words are actually bringing me into the presence of God. Am I finding my life in God? Or are they directing me to a life apart from God? Never tell people to repent as if that is something they can do apart from God's Spirit. Remember the seven words of Jesus that set people free from religion. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If people cannot repent apart from the Spirit of God, then if you want to see them repent, impart to them the power to repent. 
by speaking words of the Spirit, words that tell people who they are because Christ lives. You are reconciled. You are forgiven. You are called. Praise God. Not words that tell them who they could become if only they repented a bit harder or prayed a bit harder or worked a bit harder or waited a bit longer. You see, in the natural, new life cannot be birthed apart from intimacy, apart from a being with. It's the same in the Spirit. Only the Spirit who imparts being with God brings forth new life. That's why when Nicodemus asked Jesus, tell me again, how, how can a man be born from above? Jesus never directed Nicodemus to himself. He never gave him one thing to do. He directed him to the wind. He said, listen, the Holy Spirit is all the Spirit's all the spirit jesus was saying in effect the flesh what you do does not birth life in the spirit only the spirit gives birth to the spirit being is imparted by being with praise god so preach the gospel of being with only the being with god's spirit can impart the being with god life the ministry of the holy spirit is always to lift our vision from the earthly to the heavenly from the temporal to the eternal from the things that are passing away to the things that will never pass away from our doing for him onto his being in us and our being in him praise god from a life of always becoming but never arriving which describes multitudes of people in the church always becoming but never arriving lifting us up from that life sitting under a mixed grace and law gospel into the life of being who he says we now are with God Amen. we are people with God remember it Romans 8 16 it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirits that we're becoming God's children it doesn't say that what does it say that's right that we are God's children let me say it again the Holy Spirit doesn't testify with your spirit that you're becoming God's children but that you are God's children that's how you recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John wrote it this way, the Apostle John. He said, in fact, See how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And this is who we are. Luke 15. We're finally there. Praise the Lord. Jesus tells us that the prodigal son had a plea. He had a prayer all rehearsed that he was going to pinning all his hopes on, that this prayer was going to move his father to save him. And you can read it in verse 21. In fact, it's actually recorded twice this prayer because he was investing so much hope in this prayer, he actually practiced it before he left. You can, you can read him practicing this prayer before he left the pig pen. And then finally, he arrives home and his father rushes out and hugs him. And this is what he says, verse 21. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now listen again to what he's saying. I am no longer worthy to be. I am no longer worthy to be. He is saying, in effect, I want to draw back from the name you would give me, son. I want to be named according to what I have done. Give me the name servant. You know, as long as the church remains under the law, tolerating a mixed message of grace and law, she is saying to the father, in effect, we're not worthy to be called by the name son, to be in Christ, to find our being with you. So make us servants, name us after our works. Let us earn our being with you. Let us name ourselves after our works, our repentance, our obedience, our prayer life. Let us live always becoming, but never being with you. And we all know what the father thought when he heard the son speak like that. The prodigal son may have come home, but his father can hear in his words that he still doesn't get it. 
He's falling again. Falling from being to becoming. As the whole human race fell in Adam. From being to becoming. In the first Adam we fell. From being to becoming. From being with God to becoming with God. But never arriving. Because we could never be like him by ourselves. Because he's not a God by himself. In the last Adam, Christ, we rose from becoming to being, from becoming with God one day to being with God every day. And the power to live that life came with the coming of the God Spirit, the being with God Spirit. How much do you think God really wants you and I to share in his life, to live as a human being with God? I think as much as the Father, in that story of the prodigal son, desired his son to be with them. Can you remember how much the father wanted his son to be with him? It says, in fact, there in Luke 15, 20, says that on seeing his son, the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the most beautiful thing, and someone said this to me again during the week, that the word that's used there to describe the father falling on the prodigal son is the same word the apostle Peter uses in Acts 11 to describe the falling of the Holy Spirit on Cornelius' house. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit falling and kissing the neck of Cornelius' servants? <laughs> That's what he wants. Praise God. The prodigal son left home to make a name for himself, and here he is still trying to make a name, to name himself after his life, and he's living as an orphan. The prodigal son thinks his greatest need is to know what to do. He's saying, in effect, Father, instruct me in what I need to do, and I will do it. Be my instructor my manager and the father sees immediately that his son's greatest need is not to know what to do but to know who he is he doesn't need an instructor he needs a father as long as the church sits under a mixed message of law and grace then the apostles paul's words to the corinthians two thousand years ago will still remain true in 2023 that in a church filled with old covenant-minded believers he said you have ten thousand instructors but not many fathers but in Christ Jesus I became your father because I begat you through the gospel praise God spirit gives life to spirit the prodigal son had been trying to become someone for years by his own efforts and I believe that describes the life of multitudes of us for years in the church wandering in a dry place called doing to become and in Luke 15, on hearing this confession, I am not worthy to be, the father sees that his son is blind still to who he truly is. He needs to see himself as the father sees him. He needs a metanoia. He needs a total repentance. And that's why the father immediately, physically, dresses him as an esteemed son. He doesn't tell him to repent. He draws near him, imparting to him the power to repent. For he clothes him in the garments of his son. That speaks of the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to clothe you in the righteousness of God. The power of the gospel to draw near you. And Jesus said it again. As the kingdom of God draws near people, you can say then, repent. For the kingdom of God draws near you. What the father is saying to the son here is, look, open your eyes. Look at the way I've dressed you. Look who I declare you to be. You are my son. Be my son. Enough becoming. Come home to my table and be my son. And that's what the Spirit is saying to the church right the way across the world. The people need to see the church come home and be the children of God. No longer becoming. People are fed up of our religion. They're fed up of us trying to be holy enough for God. Open your eyes and see 
The Father has dressed you. Praise God. He gives you a spirit. He imparts to you the righteousness of God. Praise God. Behold, open your eyes. Look, enough becoming. Be my son. Come home. Any message that will not leave you clothed in the garments of his righteousness, cannot open your eyes to the call of God in your life to find your being with him by his grace, not your efforts. For he dresses you and he saves you and he brings you into himself, not by works, but by grace through faith. And this is not the works of God, works of man. It is the gift of God that no man should boast or look down his nose at any other man thinking that there was something he did to make himself like this. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you didn't receive? When that revelation comes to the church, we got good news. We can tell people this God freely gives. He freely gives, praise God. I, you know, but I, I need to see the wonder of that again. We need to see the wonder of that again. Absolutely, be absolutely drunk in that. Praise God. This is good news. Praise God. So remember, the act of clothing the prodigal was an impartation of sonship. And I see that as a powerful picture of the necessity of the impartation of the Spirit for people's eyes to be opened, to see themselves as God sees them. And we have seen that this morning, that that impartation comes through the preaching of the gospel of God's grace, not the gospel of our obedience. Not the gospel of our repentance. Not the gospel of our anything. The gospel of His grace. His life. So remember in 2023, church, what you heard in 2022. No matter how many scriptures someone quotes to you, always ask yourself one question. Is what I am hearing leaving my faith on Christ's finished work or on my unfinished works? Are they speaking to me of his obedience or mine? Are they leaving my hope in my repentance? Or have they so lifted my hope off myself and onto Christ that I find their words are actually causing me to repent? They're actually giving me a metanoia. Their words are actually bringing me into my right mind, bringing me into the presence of God. Never tell people to repent as if that's something they can do apart from God's Spirit. Remember the seven words of Jesus that set people free in this nation from religion. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If people cannot repent apart from the Spirit of God, then if you want to see them repent, impart to them the power to repent by speaking words of the Spirit, words that tell people who they are because Christ lives. You are the reconciled. You are the forgiven. You are the called. Now, men must receive that. Men must be born again, but God makes every, every way, every grace, praise God. And if we would catch the joy of that and how wonderful that is and how free that is again then people would see by our face that we are being with God people would be astonished at our boldness at our courage people would think that we too must be drunk to believe something as good as this and that way we're restored again to where we began this journey by the spirit not in the flesh praise God he is still the father who goes out to his sons and I'll close with this and speaks to them of their being with him. For by such words from the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of being, not becoming, men and women find themselves clothed in Christ, the best life the Father has to give, the being with God life. Oh, let's pray. <laughs>